trying to, if you can understand what I'm trying to do, little bro, I'm trying to give you that vibe, you understand? Perfection comes with time, man. So special, special. This shit like... Yo, yo, welcome world, welcome. I'm your host, J-Ron, and this is my podcast, Working Progress Podcast, where I'm all about personal development and trying to be a better person. So with this podcast, I try to use stories to kind of inspire you or to create thought to a better understanding of myself and some of the things that we go through. And I believe these stories kind of touch everybody Due to the fact that we all go through it, we just don't speak about it. Um, the last week, I ended up telling a story about a woman named Tabitha. And the whole concept behind that story was about being obedient. And there was many other things I could have went with that story. But I felt being obedient was probably the first episode I should do. Due to the fact that God told me to come out and tell these stories. And I kind of had to start being obedient. So with this Monday, you know, today's Inspiration Mondays, I wanted to push this story out. Um, it's not as, you know, with a glorious ending to it, but I felt like this would be a story nonetheless that I had to share. So this story is called Being Held Hostage. And July 20th, 1993, a young six-year-old boy pulls up to his house with his mother and and his two siblings sitting in the back seat. Now, as they pull up to this house, they notice that there's a large shadow moving amongst the blinds. Someone's looking through the window, and the thing about this is that no one's supposed to be inside the house. So they're all scared, and they see lights flickering. They see somebody walking in and around, and the mother is kind of scared to go in. So she looks at her six-year-old son, and she tells him, Hey, I need you to go open the door and see who's inside. And if there's somebody in there that shouldn't be, just run back and we can go ahead and leave. So the little boy looks up at his mother and he says, why me? And she tells him, well, because you're so brave and you're so fast, you can get away from him much faster than I could. And the little boy said, I am brave. So he starts telling himself he's brave. He sticks his chest out, and he goes inside, and he tries to unlock the door. Now, as he goes to unlock the door, the jingles of the keys alerts the person on the inside that, hey, somebody's about to open the door. So as the boy opens the door, he sees the person for a split second, but the person takes him and tosses him, tosses him across the room like a little ragdoll, whoosh, and then the he looks outside and he looks in the car and he sees the people sitting in the car, the woman and the kids, and they don't go in. So the man says, well, if she ain't coming in, you ain't getting out. So she got to come in. So he starts beating on a little boy. And after beating on him and, you know, you can hear the scream and the cry. Nobody comes in. So he says, well, I guess I got time to wait. So he takes, uh, a t-shirt a long sleeve t-shirt and he ties a little boy's arms up then he takes some rope and ties a boy's legs up so he's like until she come in you're not going anywhere so he puts his foot on the boy's back and i mean he's pushing down hard 
and the little boy can't move. He can't see anything. He's just face down to the carpet. And as he's sitting there in the carpet, you know, he's screaming until he has nothing else to scream about. And it seemed like it took forever. So the man drags him across the carpet. Once he realizes the boy has no more fighting him and he pulls him towards the couch and the man turns the TV on and he just starts watching TV and the little boy turns his head and his head is pressed so hard down into the carpet. It causes a rug burn on his nose and he looks up and he's watching Michael Jordan win his third championship and they're playing the clips and the highlights of him winning the championships before, and he sees Michael Jordan holding a trophy, crying with his father. And that little boy is wondering, like, you know, where's my father in this moment? So I'm telling you this story because in that moment, that kid was held hostage. Nobody came for him. Nobody was able to save him. And... The little boy knew exactly who the man was that was in the house. It was a mother's ex-boyfriend. And his ex-boyfriend would always get on these drinking binges and he would become violent. And the mother and the boyfriend would break up and make up. So after breaking up, he breaks into the house, gets drunk, and he's waiting on this woman. Now, The little boy doesn't remember what happens the rest of the night, but that next morning he's in the house. He sees his mother and she has a bruised face. He's bruised. He's feeling some kind of way. And the mother is feeling, you know, saddened because she couldn't save her son. And she was too scared to save him at this time. Now being 1993, it wasn't as simple to call the police from the outside, you either had to go to a pay phone or you had to call from your house. And because she couldn't get in the house, she couldn't call the police. And because the little boy took the keys, she couldn't drive away. So it was just a misfortunate that night. And the little boy just ended up catching the worst case of it. And so did the mother when she finally worked up the courage to go inside. But the damage was done. It was too late. So to kind of ease her guilt and her pain, she ends up taking the little boy out for breakfast the next day. She says, uh, whatever you want, you can get whatever you want. You were so brave. So she's sitting there. He orders his food. You know, he's feeling a little bit better, but, you know, he's still wondering, like, why nobody came in to save him. So after a while, she's like, "Okay, well, I got to go ahead and get ready for work. I'm going to go ahead and take you to your grandmother's. So the little boy's sitting there, and the mother looks at her kids, and she says, now remember, what happens in the house stays in the house. We don't need to tell everybody our business. And she's looking at the little boy who has a rug burn on his face and who's bruised on the inside. You can't see it on the outside, but he's bruised on the inside. He goes inside, and he never talks about it. But he starts to pray and say, you know, God, please protect me, protect my mother, protect my family. Please remove us from this situation. So the little boy feels like his prayers have been answered because a couple months later, they end up leaving that house and going to a new house. 
And this house was much better because it was down the street from where the kid was going to school. It was down the street from one of his friends from school. And it was just a perfect place for him to be. The boyfriend didn't come. He didn't know where they stayed. And everything was one with the world in that moment. But just like old habits, the woman ends up seeing the boyfriend and kind of working it out, talking about it. And he starts to show up again. Now, the little boy is scared because he remembers a lot of the things that the man had did. And he remembered every time he got drunk, it always got bad for him and his family. So he would pray that the man would never drink or the man would never return when he was drunk. But nonetheless, old habits form again. And the same things that the man was still addicted to would follow him. He ended up becoming drunk one night after uh, after a, a basketball game or something. The man came home, came to the woman's house, and he ended up drunk. He ended up knocking all the plates out of the house, trashed the whole house, knocked the plates, became enraged. The mother took, the mother ran. She took off, left the kids there because she was scared what he would do to her in that type of rage. So a few months after that, they stopped talking. And the little boy felt so good, like, man, God, just keep this man away from us. Please keep us away from us forever this time. So the little boy is with his uh, sibling, and he walks to school one day. So as they're walking to school, they're feeling better, they're happy, But then when he gets off of school, he's walking home and he sees nothing but caution tape all around the garage, around the driveway. It's in the yard. Police cars are everywhere. And this little boy's heart is in a pit of his stomach because he's like, man, God, what did you allow happen? And he goes to run inside and the police stop him. Like, no, no, you can't go in there. Uh, Who are you? And they're asking him questions, and he's just scared because he's scared to say what's going on because nobody is telling him what had happened. And all the the boy could think of is, like, where is my mother? You know, why is nobody saying where she's at? And all they tell him is, your mother's been in an accident. She's in the hospital. And as they're telling him this, tears are falling down from his face. They're falling down from his sibling's face. And the woman across the street says, hey, come here. Don't worry. We're going to watch you. Um, We got in contact with your family, and somebody's going to be coming to pick you up from here later. So you can stay with us. So he's sitting there, and he's like, do you know what happened to my mother? No. um, We just heard a loud scream, and we were told to call the police. The police by who? Um... I guess there was a little person, your little brother was in there. So the boy's like, where's he at? What what happened to him? Oh, he's fine. Somebody came to pick him up, but somebody will be back later to pick you up. So hours go by and the boy's cousin ends up coming to pick him up. And they go to find out what happened to the mother because she doesn't know the whole story. Because again, back in that day, There weren't cell phones. You couldn't just 
instantaneously find out what happened to somebody. So they ended up at the hospital and while they're in the hospital, they're telling the boy and the cousin that, you know, um, the accident was she had got knocked down and the boyfriend took his truck and he ran over her legs. And they said there was a, a severe snap in the legs and breaking the bones and they didn't know what quite to do if they were going to stick rods, if she was going to be able to walk without a cane or walk with a cane. It was just a, a lot of uncertainty at that moment. So the reason why I'm telling you this story, not trying to drag it on about this little boy, was that this little boy was me. Everything I'm telling you ended up happening to me. And the man that ended up doing this to my mother, you know, I still see him to this day. And a day doesn't go by when I don't think about that moment and the moments after that moment that ended up altering my life as a a child. Because the night I was held hostage, I no longer consider myself a kid. I no longer laugh the same way a six-year-old would laugh. And I always had the thought of where my help was coming from. And it kind of created a lot of resentment towards believing that people would help me believing that people would even care enough to have my back or to show the same type of courtesy I would show them. And I ended up having a lot of trust issues with people. And the reason why I tell you this is because um, I never told that story to anybody, not even my closest friends. I never talked about it. I never told that story. And that story ended up coming out one day in therapy when a couple of questions got asked, you know, what is it that's holding you back? Why is it hard to forgive people? And I sit here now and I'm thinking about those questions. And the reason why it's hard for me to forgive is because I have no idea what to replace that anger I feel towards this man with. And that's being honest, you know, from being six to 34 now, those are years of hate, resentment, pain, sadness. And what do I replace that with if I decide to go ahead and forgive? Forgiving is not an easy process. Neither is healing. So I ended up watching this video and this woman is talking about, you know, if you're going to go ahead and forgive people and become a better version of yourself, the first person you have to learn how to forgive is yourself. And she challenged people to go 30 days just saying, I forgive you in the mirror. Telling yourself that you forgive yourself in the mirror for 30 days. And the reason why this is important is because there are little J-Rons 
all over the world that haven't forgave themselves for feeling weak, for feeling stupid, for feeling a whole tremendous things. Like I felt like I was always that kid that nobody wanted. My mother didn't come save me. My father didn't come save me. And I'm not trying to get empathy or have someone feel any type of pity for me. That's not what this story is about because at the end of the day, I saved myself thousands of times, but this is the one time I could not save myself. And I blame myself for not being smart enough to say no. Being smart enough not to even go in the house, being smart enough to tell somebody that I know would go ahead and help me. I, I feel pity for myself for not saving that kid and feeling that way all the way up until I'm a grown man is a reason why I make sure I'm always there for my kids. Nobody can, can put their hands on my kids. I might not look like the toughest man in the world, but if I ever feel that my kids would go through what I went through as a kid, I would kill everybody in the house just because I would never want anybody to steal that type of innocence from my kids or any other kid. Like it's just something I couldn't live with. But the purpose of this story is to start forgiving myself, to allow me to go through a healing process that I'm afraid to really go through. Because that story and many other stories in my life led me to understand that everyone suffers in silence. And whether you believe it or not, you have a similar story or someone else has a story and they're suffering in silence. Everybody's been cheated on, beat up, forgotten about, and written off. And rather than express what it is that we feel, we don't want to look weak. So we keep it to ourselves. We keep all these thoughts, all these aggressions inside ourselves because we feel that no one really truly cares. No one is out there to help us. There might not be someone to help you every single day in life, but there is someone out there that does care. And the first person that's got to start caring is you. The first person that's got to start forgiving is you forgive yourself for the trauma that's happened to you. I'm not saying that you can always give the person that's done something to you a pass. It's not easy for me to give this man a pass, but it is a lot easier for me to start forgiving myself, to start saying, hey, you were only six years old. You were only seven years old. How are you supposed to, in that moment, know exactly what to do? Your brain had not developed yet. Your body had not developed yet. So, as I go ahead and restart my 30-day challenge of forgiving myself, I ask you to go ahead and start forgiving yourself. 
Start looking in the mirror. Start telling yourself, I forgive you. It's okay. Because whether you want to believe it or not, you're holding yourself hostage from the greatness that this universe, that this God, that life has to offer by not allowing yourself to forgive. You don't have to always go to that person and forgive them, but you just have to start forgiving yourself. So as I tell you guys this story, I want you to go out and really try to start forgiving yourself. Start looking yourself in the mirror every day and just start giving yourself positive affirmations because we all need it, whether you want to believe it or not. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm your host, J-Ron. Thank you.